Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the word of God. We love you, Jesus. We celebrate you. We worship you. Lord, you are in this place. Praise God. Thank you. And we're going to go straight to the word of the Lord as found in Acts chapter 2. I'm reading out of the Holy King James. If it was good enough for the apostles, it's good enough for me. And we'll start with verse 12. And as I'm preaching today, I sort of feel like an apologist, not an apologizer, but an apologist who is a defender of the Christian faith. And today, more specifically, a defender of apostolic Pentecostalism. And this is our hermeneutic. This is how we look at the text. We read it through the same lens that the apostles read their Bible, the Old Testament, through, and not through the lens of church history, but we read the Bible through the lens of the apostles, the Word of God. And so, Acts chapter 2, verse 12, they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what does this mean? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. And these are questions that are asked in response to the very first outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Peter stood up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, said to them, you men of Judea, all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known to you, hearken to my words. These people are not drunk. As you suppose, because it's only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that. Everybody say, this is that. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he's taking a text out of the Bible. He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. 17, it'll come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy Young men see visions, old men dream dreams. On my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth beneath. This is right out of the book of Joel. Blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. How many are glad you called on the name of the Lord? You called on the name of the Lord to be saved. Amen. So my subject today for a few minutes, I would like to entitle, This is That Church. (laughs) This is That Church. Amen. This is That Church. And everybody's going to help me preach by saying amen at least one time. Maybe see. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Paul said he was the chiefest of sinners. This is what my nephew Chris came up with today. You know, you got to talk about the elephant in the room. And I don't know if the chiefs are won or lost yet, but... Just when I thought this was a spiritual church. Yeah. 
Well, they won. Sorry for those that have it spoiled for you if you were DVing it, DVRing it. Uh, that's what DVRs are for. Don't ever miss church for a game. You got a DVR. So I'm so proud that you're here today. And uh, Paul said he was the chiefest of sinners. That's what Chris said. He gave me a scripture. The chiefest of sinners. And, but he said, we worship the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the chief of all chiefs. Praise God. I thought that was pretty clever. So today I'm speaking for a few minutes on this subject. This is that church. And I want to ask you a question today. Do we need biblical scriptures for everything we believe about God and everything we do here at TLC? I would say if we want to please God, we'd better be in the book. <laughs> if we're in the book, he's obligated to bless it. If it's not in the book, we're on our own. Local churches, even denominations, and perhaps even individuals get into trouble with God when they don't have Bible for what they believe. What they believe about their liturgy, their doctrine, their practices, how they live their lives. In fact, years ago, to show you how out of off kilter a church can become, there was a church in Kentucky. It's a true story. I read it in the paper. And uh, that's how long ago this was. And uh, they were doing a little fundraiser. So they were making chicken dinners and they were selling them to the community. And they were so good that uh, they asked them if they could do it again the next month. And they did it, and they did it the next month, and the next month. Finally, they started making chicken dinners during midweek services, and then before and after church on Sunday, and the fundraisers were so successful, they actually just went out of the church business and went into the chicken business. And it's called Church's Chicken, if you've never heard of it. No, that's the only part of the story that's not true. I just threw that in there. I couldn't resist. But it's true. They went out of business. They got lost somewhere and forsook the mission of the church. God said that his people would be destroyed for lack of knowledge. So what kind of knowledge is God talking about? Is he talking about scientific knowledge and, you know, worldly knowledge? No, he's, he's talking about God knowledge. He's talking about word of God knowledge. And he's talking about biblical worldview knowledge. God said his people would be destroyed if they did not know who he was, what his purpose and what he's up to in the world and why are we here. 2 Timothy 2.15 in the NLT says, Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. You know, somebody tried to tell me one time, God don't care about anything. Oh, really? Well, the Lord said, if you'll repent and do your first works, then I will receive you. So there is a way to please God. There is a way to reach for God. And Paul told his son of the gospel in 2 Timothy, he said, 
Present yourself in such a way that you receive God's approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly explains the word of truth. So apparently in this admonition to his son in the gospel, Paul says, you want to correctly explain the word of truth, which means that there were contemporaries in the air Paul was breathing that were incorrectly incorrectly interpreting and explaining the word of truth. And isn't it amazing that 2,000 years later, there's still some incorrect explaining and incorrect interpreting of the word of God. You say, well, Bishop, are you setting yourself up to be the de facto interpreter of the Bible? Yes. No. No, I'm not. But we're looking at the Bible today. No man is infallible. But God is infallible. And his word is infallible. And you are sitting in the midst of a congregation. We all are today. We believe the Bible to be the plenary. That means all of it. Inspired. That means God breathed. Word of God. From Genesis 1-1 to the maps. (laughs) We believe all of it. We don't believe that Adam and Eve was a metaphor. It's like the sweet little old lady came to one church for 40 years. And she was walking out after a Sunday morning service. And all she had in her Bible was two pages. And her pastor noticed so many pages had been ripped out of the Bible. He said, ma'am, you've been coming to our church 40 years. You've only got two pages in your Bible. She said, oh, yeah. Well, every time I come in here and I hear you preach something and then you say, well, that's not for us today. Well, I say, if it's not for us, I'm taking it out of my Bible. And I'm here to tell you it's the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. We got to preach the word or there's no life in it. We got to preach the word or there's no salvation in it. We got to preach the word or there's no power. There's no supernatural miracles unless we stand and preach the word. So while he was here on this earth, Jesus designated Simon Peter as the official spokesman for all of the apostles and the entire church. So when questions were asked on the day of Pentecost that we just considered in Acts chapter 2, you got to get the setting. There's 120 believers in in the same room. They were all with one accord, one place. Sound from heaven came like a rushing mighty wind. Tongues of fire or flames of fire sat upon their heads and they began to speak with tongues. This was the first time this had ever happened. They were speaking in languages that they did not know supernaturally. And this was a sign to them that they had been filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I want to pause right here and say that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just a Pentecostal thing. It's not just something for a denomination of people. Let me tell you something. In heaven, there are no denominations. In heaven, there are no labels. In heaven, there's just the children of God. 
And I'm telling you today, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is for everyone. Peter said, it's to you and your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And the baptism of the Holy Ghost is for everyone in this room here today. And if it's from God, why would you not want to receive it? Don't draw a circle around yourself and say, well, I'm not Pentecostal. I grew up in this denomination, this faith, and and this persuasion, and this tradition. Can I tell you something? In my lifetime, I have lived long enough to see Baptist, good Baptist people filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Some of them used to preach against it. Some of them used to teach against it. But now they're speaking with tongues, and God is stepping over barriers. He's climbing over walls. He's wanting everybody every believer everywhere to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Praise God. So Peter is explaining what has happened and he starts in the book. Joel chapter 2. And he takes a text out of the only Bible. They didn't have the New Testament yet. Just the Old Testament. And he's preaching right out of the book. Huh? When we come to the life church, we don't come for book reports. I wouldn't be surprised if there's churches in Kansas City that piped in the game this morning. I, I, I don't know. If you find one, text it to me. I'm calling up that pastor and giving him a hard time. You know what that is? That's an attraction model. Oh, come to church. We're going to watch the Chiefs. What? That's what we got cell phones for. iPhones. Just inform yourself. You know, if, if the game was still going on and somebody who usually doesn't say amen says hallelujah. Somebody usually doesn't worship or lift a hand. If they start doing this. We know something else is going. I believe in talking about the elephant in the room. Everybody okay? Praise God. Peter preached the word. Peter explained something that had never happened. They had never seen it. They had never heard it. And by the way, can I just be an apologist today? And say that when the Holy Ghost falls, you will see it and you will hear it. Peter said this. Jesus has shed forth this. He said this in Acts chapter 2. Read it for yourself. He has shed forth this. That means he poured this out. That you both see it and you hear it. Everybody say see it. Hear it. The Holy Ghost is not just a good feeling in your heart. The Holy Ghost is not just goosebumps running up and down your back. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost or you're watching somebody, how many's ever watched somebody receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost? You're going to see it. You're going to see it. It's going to come on them and you're going to hear it. And I'll tell you what it's going to sound like. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter three, he said, the wind blows where it wants to verse eight. And you hear the sound of it. 
So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Even Jesus himself gave a universal acknowledgement that everybody that is born of the Spirit, there will be a universal evidence. It's not some are going to you know, do this and some are going to do that and some are going to do the other thing. But he said, no, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. The word sound there is the word phone, from which we get our word phonics. And Jesus was saying when the Holy Ghost comes, it's going to sound like words. It's going to sound like a heavenly language. And I'm telling you that spirit is still being poured out today. And it would not surprise me one bit if God would fill somebody today with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and we'll hear it and we'll see it. So Peter assigned a text to the experience. And when you have an experience with God, that is founded in the word of God. You got something genuine. You got the real thing. He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Peter assigned a scriptural foundation and basis for exactly what the crowd had gathered to witness. You might say, Simon Peter's This had a that. Simon Peter's this was the day of Pentecost. And he had a that in the scripture. Think of it. 800 years it had been prophesied and it hadn't happened yet. The Holy Ghost is trembling. It's trembling in the word and it's waiting for 800 years. And finally it happened. And Peter said, we finally figured out. What Joel was talking about centuries ago. And I'm saying that this message today is an attempt to demonstrate that this church is that church. The Bible is still the undisputed best-selling book of all time. Selling some 5 billion copies. Owning a Bible and actually reading it are not necessarily the same thing or listening to it. And reading the Bible and correctly understanding the Bible can be two different things. And understanding the Bible and obeying what the Bible says Sometimes are two different things. We probably, all of us here, know Christians who are educated way beyond the level of their obedience. But Jesus told us to walk in the light while we're in the light. When revelation shines on you, obey that revelation. When God interrupts your life and shows you something in the word, don't just... Move on from it, but, but study it and receive it and obey it and, and, and embrace it. Add it to your life. The Bible said line upon line, precept upon precept, here and a, there, and a, there a little. God will speak to his people. So we need, to know, we need to know what the book says. We need to understand what the book says, and we need to obey what the book says. Turn to somebody and say, obey the word. I'm so glad that somebody knew what the book said 
when the Spirit was first outpoured on the day of Pentecost. Something strange had happened in that upper room and spilled out into the streets. Something unprecedented and unusual, mysterious and supernatural had occurred in Jerusalem by 9 o'clock in the morning. It was an understanding of what the Bible says that not only cleared up the questions, but it was the preaching and the explanation of the word that exponentially advanced and multiplied what had already started. This outpouring of the Spirit among these initial 120 was unusual, extraordinary, unprecedented, and it deserved an explanation. So this 120 were all with one accord that had never happened before. There was a sound from heaven that had never happened before. There were leaping flames of fire on people's heads that had never happened before. Locals from Galilee were speaking in languages of foreign nations who were represented there in Jerusalem, hyperbically speaking from every nation of the world. This had never happened before. These visitors in Jerusalem who rushed toward the upper room heard a sound like a rushing mighty wind and they were present and watching and listening to this supernatural phenomenon and they could hardly believe their eyes and ears. Now, let me just unpack this a little bit further. In Acts chapter 2 verse 5, the Bible says they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Everybody say devout. This means they were religious. This means they frequented their synagogues around the world. They were not sure if what just happened was okay. Huh? They had never seen this behavior in the synagogue before. There was excitement. There was confusion, there was mocking and ridicule, and they were asking questions. Everybody say they were asking questions. They were asking questions. Here was the questions. There's four of them. Are not all these that are speaking in our languages from Galilee? Two, how do we hear every native tongue spoken by these locals? Three, what does this mean? And if you can get people to ask the first three questions, the fourth one is the most important one. Men and brethren, what shall we do? I've come to ask you a question. Do people ask questions in your church? They ask questions in the first church. I think it's a good thing when people are asking questions in your church. I think it's a good sign if guests who come to the Life Church are asking questions, we are in good company. If visitors come into the Life Church for the first time, just like in that first church, are asking questions in the 21st century version of the first century church. In fact, I'd be a little bit worried if first time guests come to the Life Church and never ask a question. If they're not asking questions, it must mean one of two things. Either 
there are no guests here. Or secondly, nothing is happening at the Life Church they have not already seen in every other church in Kansas City. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's some things that happen at the Life Church that need some explanation. There are some things that go on in this place that somebody needs to stand up and explain why people are acting the way they do, why people are doing what they do, why do we baptize the way that we do, and I'm just the one to answer the questions today. I don't know what your questions are, but if you've got a question, you're sitting in the right house. I don't know what your questions are, but if you've got a question today, I'm the Bible answer man today. (laughs) Woo! Everybody all right? Amen. Questions are healthy. It's not healthy if you go to church and not allowed to ask questions. Right? That would be dysfunction. In fact, I heard the story about a first-time guest in a Pentecostal church. And he didn't know anything. And somebody stood up and spoke in tongues. And he asked person next to him said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, they're, they're speaking with tongues. It's in the Bible. Somebody got up and shouted and danced and worshiped the Lord and said, what's going on there? He got a bug in his shoe. He said, no, 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 he's dancing before the Lord. Oh, okay. And then the pastor took his watch off right when he's getting ready to preach and laid it beside his Bible. He said, what does that mean? He said, oh, that don't mean nothing. I don't know if you noticed, but I already look at the clock six times while I'm preaching. I live by the clock. Of course, it doesn't always mean anything, but I live by it. Everybody okay? Now, here's the big idea of the message. There's 1,700 Christian congregations in Kansas City. There's a lot of diversity of doctrine. There's a lot of different ideas about soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. You go to one church, the pastor will say, repeat this prayer after me. And they repeat it, and he said, you're saved. You go to another church, and uh, they baptize babies. Never mind, that never happened in the scripture. Never mind, Jesus never told anybody to do it. You know, let's not let Jesus get in the way of our doctrine or our theology or anything. That's a development from church history. It's not a development from the Bible. A lot of people today will be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, which we know to be Jesus. And when the pastor's confronted about it, the pastor will say, Well, I'd rather believe the words of Jesus than the words of Peter. I mean, that's intellectual suicide. If you'd allow me to be so dramatic, to believe that Jesus and Peter are arguing with each other in the scripture. In fact, it was Peter that was given the keys of the kingdom. He was the one that was given authority to preach how to be baptized. And When Jesus said, go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, when you look at the other parallel texts in Luke, John, and Mark, none of them say it that way, but they all say, in my name, which is exactly what Jesus said. 
Jesus said, I am coming, my Father's name. He said, the Father will send the Holy Spirit in my name. We know that Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, I'm not against anybody today. I'm just an apologist for the truth. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are not names, but they are titles, and there is no authority in a title. The only place where there's authority in the scripture is in the name of Jesus. Peter said, neither is there salvation in any other name. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's why we defend water baptism by immersion. You go to some churches in this city, and I love all my pastors, and I know a lot of them. I know a lot of them. In fact, one of our largest congregations was rocked this week with allegations about the leader. And for years, decades, a serial adulterer. And I'm going to tell this church today, and I'm not going to lift ourselves up at the expense. I've been in conversation with some that are involved. I've been praying. I've been doing what I can. I'm very interested. I'm passionate about protecting the integrity of the ministry. But this church was founded in 1955. There's never been one scandal. There's never been one allegation in the four and now five pastors that have served this church. Hallelujah. No man is infallible. No man is above sin. It can happen to anybody. But by the grace of God, it hasn't happened yet at this church because we stand for righteousness and we believe in the word. If I don't have my relationship with my wife, I don't have anything. If I'm not in relationship with my family, I don't have anything. And some pastors will say, oh, you want to be baptized? Well, we baptize on January 1st and July 1st. Is that in the Bible? Let me tell you why they do that. Because they don't think baptism has anything to do with salvation. They don't have a that for their this. Show me in the Bible, please, where baptism can be put off for six months. If we're going to be Christian, we better get in the book. If we're going to love the truth, we better get in the Bible. Forget church history. Forget the church Christian fathers. Forget them all. I'm staking my life on the apostles' doctrine. We're built upon the foundation of the apostle doctrine and fellowship. They didn't stack up baptisms. They didn't stack up baptism. In fact, baptism is so important that God sends Philip out of a red-hot revival in Samaria. He sends him out to the desert, and he's sitting there waiting and here comes a man from Ethiopia in a chariot. And the Holy Ghost says, go catch up. He takes off. He's running. I still got it, Monte. He's taking off running. And he jumps up in the chariot. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I understand? Except somebody explained it to me. And right out of Isaiah. Now I'm sucking air. <laughs> now nah, I don't still got it. And he preaches Jesus. And does Philip say, well, you know, when you get to Ethiopia, make sure you find a church. 
And then somebody will probably baptize you. No. In the Bible, baptism is urgent. The Philippian jailer gets baptized at midnight. Cornelius, when they're filled with the Holy Ghost, Peter commanded them. That's pretty strong. I'm going to try it out today. I'm under the authority of the apostles. If you've never been baptized for the remission of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ in all humility, I'm commanding you to be baptized. What are you waiting on? Baptism is now. Baptism is urgent. The Ethiopian eunuch said, here's water. I want to be baptized right now. Am I in the book? Does our this have a that? Aren't we something? You may be seated. Hallelujah. Woo. Time out. I got, I got to make one more point. Jesus said, After Peter's revelation, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is Matthew 16, verse 18. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood, and that revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven, and thou art Peter. And on this rock, or the rock of this revelation of the mighty God in Christ, I will build my church. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus walked into any church in Kansas City, if he'd recognize it. Would he recognize the doctrine? Would he recognize the lifestyle? Nobody's preaching about holiness. We still are. Separation. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. We still believe in living sanctified, set-apart lives that please God. We don't believe that grace is a license to do whatever you want to do. Oh, we're sin about it. Grace did much more about it. Grace is not a license to sin, but it's the power to live above it. So if Jesus is building his church, have you ever wondered, hmm, Have you ever wondered what kind of liturgical service, in other words, what we're going to put in the service, what would Jesus want? Like, for example, what about, what kind of worship? What would be the style? That's what we hear in Christianity. Well, Pentecostal, that's not my style. Style doesn't have anything to do with it. What does the Bible say? Well, John 4, 24 is the first thing, you know, Worship him in spirit and in truth. That's a good start. Huh? Yeah. What? Let me tell you, if you want to know the imagery of a worship service that Jesus would be comfortable is the one he was comfortable in on Palm Sunday. If I was holding a mic, I'd drop it right there. That was a mic drop. Just go to Palm Sunday if you want to know where Jesus is comfortable. If you want to talk about style, come on. What happened on Palm Sunday? 
What's going on? Come on, get your palm branches out. Come on, Palm Sunday isn't just once a year at the Life Church. This is what was happening. And Jesus didn't say, oh, stifle yourself. Oh, put your hands down. No, they lifted up their hands. I'm tired of defending Pentecostal worship. It's not Pentecostal. It's in the book. This has a that. People act crazy at Chiefs games and they think we're nuts. Palm Sunday. People are waving their arms and hands. They're shouting. There's excitement. Jesus is coming to town with purpose. He's riding on a donkey. That means something's going on. People spontaneously are taking off their coats, laying them on the donkey, laying them in his path. It's interesting that both the laying down of coats and the waving of palm branches were symbols of the worship of a king in the first century. That's how they worshiped the king. I want to know, have you worshiped a king yet? Have you worshiped a king yet? Huh? Have you worshiped a king yet? Have you laid your life down? Have you lifted your hands? Can I tell you something? There's seven main words for praise in the Old Testament. And every one of them, you either got to do something or you got to say something or it's not praise. You say, well, I'm a quiet worshiper. No, there's no such thing as a quiet worshiper. Well, I'm not emotional. No, there's no such thing as an unemotional, unengaged with your heart. The Bible said, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's why I'm passionate. That's why I'm screaming my head off right now. Because I believe in him. I worship him. This has a that. It's not denomination. It's not style. Everybody okay? Listen to this. Please be seated. I'm almost, 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 almost done. Seven main words for praise. Halal. I'm not going to give you all seven. Everybody say halal. It's Hebrew. It means to be clear, to praise, to shine. To boast, to show, to rave, to celebrate. There's one more. To be clamorously foolish. You ever have one of those get on you? (laughs) That's funny because you've never seen me do that before. Well, that's what it means. Psalm 113. Praise ye the Lord. That's halal, to be clear, to shine, to boast, to rave. Psalm 151, praise ye the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in the firmament of his power. Somebody give him some halal right now. Halal, make your boast. Make your boast. Our this has a that, go ahead, it's in the Bible. Go ahead, it's okay. I don't care if you're a Baptist. I don't care if you're a Catholic. It doesn't have anything to do with it.
<laughs> Listen to this one. We can all stand. I'm, I'm give you hope. I'm almost done. Listen to this one. Yada. Everybody say yada. yada. It means to extend the hand. To throw out the hand. To lift the hands. So let me tell you something. This is not yada. This is like hold the baby. (laughs) This is yada. You know, Revelation 11.1, the Lord said, measure the worshipers. He said, measure the altar, measure the temple. We can do that. The temple's 50,000 square feet. The altar's 80 feet long. We can measure that. The only thing we can't worship, that God can't worship, is let, unless you give him something to worship, to measure rather. He said, measure the worshipers. Anybody got yada? This, ain't, this isn't it. This isn't it. This is it. Oh, yeah. It's the opposite of worry. It's the opposite of worrying and shape, wringing your hands and worried about tomorrow. This is yada. Toda also is another form of it. And it means to thank him for what he's already done and thank him for what he has not yet done. Come on, somebody give him, put a halal, put a halal with your yada. One more, one more. There's another main word for praise. We got a that for our this. It's Shabbat. Shabbat. Everybody say Shabbat. It means to shout, to address in a loud tone, to command, to triumph. What would happen? If we would put a yada with a halal, with a shabak, right now, go ahead, put them all together. <laughs> shout! 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 Walls come down! Demons run! Signatures leave! Go ahead. Be a biblical worshiper. Be a biblical worshiper. This isn't Pentecost. This isn't Baptist. It's Bible. Shout. Oh, something happens when you shout. Something is released in heaven when you shout. Something takes place when you shout. Our this has a that. We've got a that. Come on, somebody shout till the walls come down. Somebody shout until a miracle happens. This is that. This church is that church.
I don't know what we're getting ready to do, but I need the praise team up here. This is coming to you live right now. So raise your hand if you went with us when our church went to Israel. Raise your hand real high if you went to Israel with the Life Church. Look around. There's about a dozen of us here. There's about 40 of us went. And our guide's name is Erez. Erez is Jewish from the land of Israel. His parents, I got to be in their home. They live in Nazareth. And of course, our minds are on Israel right now. The battle that they're fighting. I prayed this morning. I said, God, we need you to step in like you did for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Gideon. We need you to step in, Lord, and fight for them. I want the battle. I want the battle. Listen, I'm on the Lord's side. I'm on the Lord's side. I know what the book says. I'm not going to apologize for supporting Israel. Not because I believe in everything. But I know what the book says, and they are the apple of God's eye. And I prayed for them this morning. And Ezra, or Eris rather, Eris, he's, he's not a believer. But he came to America a few years ago after our tour with him and Brother Stone King. And... He came to our service and he sat right where Justin is with the hat on, the Marine, Justin. And I had him greet our church. He stood at that pulpit. Now, he'd been in a lot of churches on his visit. But you know what he said to this church? He said, you people have captured the ancient spirit of my land. I want to worship like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want to worship like Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James, and Matthias. I want to worship like the believers in Romans, in 1 Corinthians, in Galatians, in Ephesians, in Philippians, in Colossians. That's my church. Those are my people. I don't know where we're going. But you are the sweet psalmist, Brother Larmy. You are the sweet psalmist of the life church. And I pray this. He's got the spirit of David. We don't have to sing that. But go back to that first one you did today. That's great. We don't need to do anything new, whatever you're feeling. But we're just, listen, God's going to fight for somebody right now. When the people of God lifted their hands and worshiped, God fought for them. He defended them. If you want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem right now while you're doing this, the Bible commands us to do that. But I want to see this altar area. I'm going to say something. The dance floor is now open. The dance floor is now open. The worship center is now open. Somebody give him some Shabbat. Give him some Yada. That's the spirit of David. The spirit of David. Keep coming. Keep coming. People are coming behind you. Come on. Come on. Let's 
ahead, don't wait for them. Don't wait for them, just go ahead. It's time for somebody to act clamorously foolish. That's it, Aubrey. That's it. I'm living in the light now. 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 Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.